Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future. What will happen to loved ones? Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Lent, and that's appropriate because we first, in the Old Testament reading, see Satan taking on man, and then in the Gospel reading, we see man, in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on Satan, and he is victorious. On earth, there is no equal to Satan, but Jesus came to earth, took on our flesh so that he might defeat sin, death, and the devil. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, the first Sunday in Lent, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer will be our guest. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' ascension in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1 with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel, and then... We'll talk about the Asbury University Revival with Lyman Stone. He's author of a column for the Issues Etc. journal titled Wittenberg Trail from Despair to the Real Presence of God. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome. Great to be back. What would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about the season of Lent? Uh, I think two things together. One is a misconception of Christ's death in the first place, which is that it's very sad. And then the second misconception is that Lent is really 40 days of focusing on Jesus' death and getting really sad about it as a result. And none of that fits either with the uh, historic lectionary, nor really even with the three-year lectionary, which is a little more death of Jesus' focus perhaps than the one year for 40 days, but by no means is this a sad thing for the Christian? Also, it's not particularly sad in the readings and the songs and the hymns that we have. So I think that's the biggest misconception is that we are looking ahead at 40 days of very miserable times. 
that's just not the way the church here is. So if so if your church services feel miserable, they might feel a little subdued. This is a time of fasting, and we tend to fast from some of our more joyful things in worship, maybe some of our more joyful instruments or images as well. But by no means are we dour for the next 40 days. If anything, there's there's quite a bit of joy, especially on Sunday mornings. So how would you introduce us to the season of Lent itself? The season of Lent lasts for roughly 40 days. It's always a little confusing when you start looking at the counting. There are 40 days if you include the Sundays, but the Sundays aren't supposed to be included. So uh, sometimes we drag it out to Ash Wednesday. Either way, we have kind of our bases covered, whether you consider Lent starting on Ash Wednesday or here on this first Sunday. And it's a season really defined by fasting. That's the thing that distinguishes it from other seasons. This is the traditional fast. 40 days makes good sense. This is the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting uh, when the devil came and tempted him. That, in fact, is how Lent begins on the first Sunday. So that's the main distinction in the history of the church. When we look at the traditional readings from the one-year historic lectionary, they're very much focused on spiritual warfare. So we have demons all over the place, and the Lord is battling them. We still have that today on this first Sunday. He's battling the prince of demons himself, the devil. In the three-year, it is much more focused on the passion of Jesus, looking forward to his death, but it really does vary depending on which year we are, which gospel we're going through. The one thing that all lectionaries, the one year and the three year, have in common across all of its years is that we begin with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and that announcement of the 40 days. Maybe just a brief moment to look at all of the lectionaries before we jump into our Lent in year A. Each year really does have a unique take, I think. Remember, the gospel kind of drives this. We'll find that just as we did in Advent and some of the earlier seasons in the church year, rather than just going Lectio Continuo through the books, these have been shaped much more by the traditional church year or by an idea of a Sunday. So we'll see that even the gospels don't quite go in chronological order, but also the epistle is matched up with the rest of the readings much better than, say, we saw during Epiphany. Year A, we depart from our Gospel of Matthew and we jump into John. And our focus is especially, as we'll see, on the individual conversations that Jesus has with people. I suppose that does kind of grow out of the temptation where he and the devil are are having an extended dialogue. We'll see some of these very intimate moments of Jesus with the woman at the well, Nicodemus, and then all the women surrounding the resurrection of Lazarus. Year B is probably the closest we have to 40 days of the passion of Jesus because we have Mark's intense gospel, and it's definitely going to look at what Jesus has to say about his own death and resurrection. We're going to have mostly a bunch of predictions from Jesus about how he must die, how it's necessary for him to suffer or his followers, in fact, to suffer, how he's come to be a ransom for many. And the Old Testament and the epistles are, in my opinion, probably the tightest in this little year B section of Lent. Lastly, year C focuses on Luke. Kind of a dual theme in my reading comes out of this. It's the tragedy of Israel's rejection of the Messiah, coupled with the Lord's fervent love for his people and for all those he he comes to save. So we see, for example, our Lord weeping over Jerusalem, 
so even in advance of Palm Sunday, we're already looking at that theme. He has some of his harsher parables, uh, including the prodigal son, which remember is told in the presence of of those uh, Jews who are opposing him, really to kind of have this, this sad, this, this poignant moment of the Lord who's come to his own and they've rejected him. But we'll hear that from Luke's perspective. And uh, again, as we start out, it's the same through all of it. It's it's Christ's 40 days, which matches up with the fasting of Lent that's traditional. But also, I mean, I think what, what does connect to his cross here is that we see his active and his passive obedience. So he he suffers and endures in his human flesh, both the weaknesses of our mortal nature, but also the beginnings of the laying of our burden upon him, as well as he actively does all things aright. He lives in perfect faith toward his father and in perfect love toward one another. In fact, we see here in particular that he denies himself in the opposite way that he gladly helps all those who are in need. And uh, all of this is, is both as active and as passive obedience for the sake of our salvation. So let's get into the particular propers for the first Sunday in Lent, beginning with the intro, which is for this coming Sunday, drawn from Psalm 91. Read that for us and take us through it a little bit. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent, for you will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample under feet. Glory be to the Father. This is actually the traditional intro also in the one-year lectionary. Invocavit sometimes is the name given to this. It's from that first word, he'll call upon me. So it's kind of nice that we have continuity almost completely in all lectionaries, especially after a little season of being out of sync with each other with uh, the Jesimas or with the movable date of transfiguration. Now we're back together, at least for this moment, as we focus ourselves toward Easter, where we'll be back together again, of course. And this psalm is fantastic. It's the obvious pairing because it is, in fact, quoted, although it's a bit of a misquote in the gospel reading. But it's so important that we understand, as with many of the psalms, who's talking to whom in the psalm, because this is just a beautiful psalm uh, that needs to be understood why we're hearing it today. First of all, uh, just to clear up a, a liturgical question I get a lot, in the one-year lectionary, they call this Sunday Invocavit, although I believe LSB calls it Invocabit, and I believe it also had that with a B in TLH. What's the source of this? Uh, it was always called Invocavit because that was the way it was in the liturgy, which is a past tense. So he called upon me and I answered him speaking kind of historically that the Father has answered Christ's prayer. He answers ours as well, of course. In the Hebrew, it's an imperfect, so it would be a future tense, and that's maybe how they've corrected it to be more like the way the Bible is, but less applicable in the kind of liturgical sense. So that's the difference there. The devil, though, uses this psalm, and he twists it. He uses that line that was partway down, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. Actually, he doesn't say that part, interestingly. He says, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So why don't you throw yourself off the top of the temple, Jesus, and uh, the angels will rescue you. And of course, the Lord says it has no time for this by the time this temptation comes along. 
the devil is really foolish to quote the psalm because if you just go on to the next verse as we have in our intro it it preaches against him it says that uh the people who belong to the lord who make the father the refuge just as christ makes him the refuge they're going to tread down this lion the, the devouring lion who who seeks us the devil and the adder that ancient serpent uh, foe of ours he's going to be trampled underfoot and really that comes through Christ Jesus that by his trampling of the devil here in this contest in the desert so we also have triumph over the devil and as i mentioned pay attention to who's talking to whom at the beginning it's the father when he that's Christ i think calls i answer him i'll be with him in all sorts of trouble actually that then becomes something we can pray as well in Christ Jesus but then Jesus is speaking to us he says you've made the lord the same most high that's my refuge your dwelling place then you also gain this protection from him then you all who trust in the father all who know Christ Jesus gain this same sonship in Jesus with him and that's the ways that the devil didn't mention the ways that are accord with God those are what the angels will guard you in but they're not going to guard you if you're tempting God as the devil wanted to do himself what is the collect and how would you explain it O Lord, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come through Jesus Christ our Lord. This collect is uh, uh, not actually original, so almost all the collects we've seen so far have been common between the one-year lectionary, the historic lectionary, and this three-year lectionary. This is an exception. It's something new. In some ways, I think it's a really great prayer, and I love it. It does uh, shift the focus a little bit, which is which is surprising. The old colic talked about, hear our prayer, Lord, stretch forth the right hand of your majesty to defend us from our adversaries, those who are rising against us, which fits very well with this contest, as I mentioned, between the devil and Christ, that we also, when we are tempted, uh, would have the Lord's mighty hand to deliver us. The arm is always a reference to Jesus Christ. The way this collect has shifted the focus is to something that will be familiar to us here in year A, and that's this understanding that Christ is, in a way, a recapitulation of all of Israel, that he is in himself. Israel boiled down to one. He is uh, acting to right everything that they've done wrong, and he's acting in fulfillment of everything that was spoken that they should have done. He is fulfilling that. Again, that active and that passive righteousness of Christ Jesus on display today. So instead of a call against the adversaries that we face, now it's focusing on kind of a wilderness journey theme, uh, appropriate since we're here in the desert for Jesus' temptation. And also, I think, appropriate because of the parallel between the 40 days of Christ's time in the desert and the 40 years of Israel wandering in the desert, which was a, absolutely a time of temptation for them, a time that, according to Hebrews and Deuteronomy and, and the Lord himself, they did not particularly succeed in. And as we'll see, there's another desert, well, not a desert, there's a garden, in fact, where failure has already occurred, leading to the fact that there are deserts today. So Christ is going to show himself to be in the same position as Israel, as Adam, as us, except he's going to show himself to be the victor over sin, to be the perfect righteous son of God, the one who is truly his chosen arm, and that he's going to, in fact, triumph over the forces of evil and sin 
on our behalf for us in our place. We're looking forward to the first Sunday in Lent with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll get into the Old Testament reading, the account of the fall, next. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. One of the greatest treasures in the Lutheran Church is the Lutheran Confessions, but it has not always been that way. From June 1st to the 3rd, Concordia University Chicago is hosting a seminar on the role of the confessional documents in the 19th century confessional revival. We invite you to come and learn about the recovery of the Lutheran Confessions through lectures and workshops, along with opportunities for prayer and fellowship. For more information, please visit cuchicago.edu slash confessionalism seminar. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent with Pastor Sean Denzer. So here is the Old Testament reading. It's Genesis chapter 3, the first 21 verses. What is it and why do we go there? This is a familiar story. This is the story of the fall into sin. Our epistle reading will really show this to us as an explanation of why it fits. But it is because Jesus Christ is the new Adam. He is one who comes in the power of the Most High as the Son of God. I suppose in the way you call Adam the Son of God, the first created man. But Christ is a son of a totally different order, eternally the Son begotten of the Father. Yet he comes and he stands up to the devil's temptation in every way that Adam and Eve with him failed. So Jesus himself is showing himself as the new Adam, the one who is uh, keeping the Lord's commands and turning away the devil's attacks. It's uh, for us a very familiar passage and a very joyful passage because it doesn't just end in failure, 
that Adam and Eve fall into sin, that they are running away from God. But it also leads to what we call the first gospel, the promise that the Lord delivers, somewhat veiled, uh, but nevertheless clear enough to give them confidence that rather than punishing them first, even though they go ahead and blame the serpent, in fact, they blame God for giving each other to them and giving the serpent to them, they go out of the garden in hope in confidence that the Lord is going to give a seed born of woman uh, who will crush the serpent's head. That's quite a promise. And in fact, in a way, the Lord uh, has overlooked their sin in that sense that he he has punished the devil first, even before he pronounces the curses, which we won't get to hear today so much. I think we do get to hear them actually. Even before he pronounces the curses, the, the consequences of the sin fall into sin he pronounces a final judgment, a crushing of the head to the devil, to Satan, which is, of course, as we recognize, a foreshadowing of Christ's accomplishment on the cross, that he, yes, was bruised in heel and hand and side, and yet his death did not stick, whereas the devil has been defeated forever by Christ's death and resurrection. It's very very interesting also that this is a shift in our three-year lectionary compared to Uh, the Revised Common Lectionary, and also the lectionary in use in the Roman Catholic Church. They include the command of God from Genesis 2, where he says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That would be nice to have in our story, I think. But what they leave out to make room for it is this gospel section. They just end with, uh, with them having sinned in the garden. We don't get to hear the Lord's great promise of the seed who will crush the serpent's head. We also don't get to see how the Lord covers over their sin as he sends them out of the garden. Two fantastic gospel promises right there together with this kind of most infamous moment, (laughs) the fall into sin, into which we all now suffer as well. So I think it's, it's quite a wise decision to include those gospel passages here, especially since the whole point of the gospel reading that we'll hear is Christ's triumph in every way that Adam has failed. The psalm that is appointed is the first seven verses of Psalm 32. Read that for us. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone who is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they will not come near to you. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You will compass me about with songs of deliverance. And it goes on, verse 8, 9, 10, 11 as well. It's interesting, the Revised Common Lecture has the whole psalm, whereas LSB has shortened it. It's a trend I've noticed that the Lutheran service book is resistant to long psalms. I find this a little at odds with maybe its other principles. The psalm, as we've mentioned before, is an addition in modern times to the divine service. It's a whole psalm chosen to comment on the Old Testament reading that have been restored in our recent times. And it fits with the principle of we want to have more of the Bible. So we want to try and cover more of the Gospels uh, in the three-year lectionary over the course of three years. Also, it, it just fits with the reality that certainly in the, in the Lutheran Church, 
the regular practice of the daily office at which the praying of the Psalms is the centerpiece. That regular practice has fallen away in most places, in most parishes, for sure. And so we're missing the Psalms in kind of our corporate worship. So here's a chance to get one in there. But then the hesitancy to maybe complete the whole Psalm, it's a little at odds with those desires. And we already had, of course, the introits and graduals, which have tended to be displaced by the Psalm. I think mostly because people glance at the lectionary list before they ever look at the propers book in the altar book or in the propers, which is a shame, I think. But, you know, those were already brief. They were short. They were kind of focused verses. And so in a way, they've become longer and ignored, whereas the Psalms, which were given us to be full and and, uh, give us more of the Bible, they tend to get truncated. So I'm a little confused about that, I confess. But this psalm is so perfect for this reading for Genesis, but also for this day, I think, in many ways. One, in verse 4, there's even this little connection with the moisture is turned into the drought, right? So it almost paints the wilderness as a place where sins and unconfessed sins and iniquity are present, which is fitting and, and certainly the way the ancient world thought about the desert. But particularly that the forgiveness of sins is our focus. As we mentioned, we want to hear not just the fall into sin by Adam, but we want to hear the promise of the gospel that was given from the very first moments of the fall into sin by our Lord. Already Christ is prophesied. Already the hope of the gospel is given for them to cling on. A name that they can trust is again returned to them that they can call upon, as we see in the succeeding chapters in Genesis. So how perfect then to take this Psalm 32, one of the penitential psalms, but probably the one that is most focused on the joys of the forgiveness of sin so that we would get to hear this. Also, just one more point is you know, it talks about trying to cover your sin up or or forget about it or just not mention it and how foolhardy that is, how it never comes to pass. And a phrase we're very familiar with from the confession of sins at our services, that he, when we confess our sins, he forgives them, he covers them over, right? Blesses the one whose sin is covered. And it's a great connection with that covering of skins that we see at the end of Genesis reading, that the Lord himself offers the first sacrifice, so to speak, that he has to kill something and something has to lose its blood in order to cover over the sin of Adam and Eve so that they may not die immediately, but live. And all of this point ahead to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which alone and truly covers our sins forever. The epistle reading Romans 5, 12 through 19, read that for us and take us in. Yes, and listen with in mind, you know, the fall of Adam right before this, and then the temptation which the Lord bests the devil that's about to come. Therefore, Paul writes, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law, that's Ten Commandments, was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, 
but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Oh, this is a beautiful section from Paul, part of his long argument, uh, and we'll come back to Romans 5 later in Lent as well. But the summary of it is, as Adam fell into sin, so Christ doesn't just fall into righteousness, but in fact, it's much greater. He is the righteous one who then brings and restores and, and gives new righteousness to all of mankind. So you have kind of this, uh, not only a, a likeness between Adam and Christ, but also kind of in an opposite measure and an opposite way that through Adam, he's the one man that sin came into the world. Well, through one man, Christ Jesus, the son of God as well, life and resurrection and righteousness and hope and grace all come through him. It also mentions the law here. That's not a, a major focus of today, but I think it's very interesting, especially in Paul's argument, to just make this point. There was still sin even before God told people there are things you're not supposed to do. I suppose you could point to the commandment that we had that we didn't get to hear from Genesis 2 as an example of a command. But Paul's point is different. Paul's point is that it's not the law that makes something a sin. Any violation of God's commandments, immediately what happened in the garden was sin. Now it's known. Now it's called out by the law, which is its chief function. And nevertheless, even though there was sin prior to the giving of the law, so that's the way in which that sin was different, now all of the sins after the law also have been forgiven by Christ's righteousness. And in fact, his righteousness has come not through our keeping of the law, but apart from the law by his fulfillment. So instead of uh, the, the trespass bringing death, that's Adam's inheritance. In Christ, there's an abundance of life, there's righteousness, and that is our inheritance now in Christ Jesus. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to the first Sunday in Lent according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference includes three worship services and a hymn sing. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. The early bird registration fee is $140 and includes three meals. Early bird ends on March 15th. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. We'll get into the gradual in Hebrews 12 next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? 
The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. He's the most Lutheran man in the world. I'm not always in Pensacola, Florida, but when I am, I attend Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Pensacola, Florida invites you to join us for divine services on Sundays at 8 or 10.30, Sunday school and Bible class at 9.15. Whether you're in Pensacola to enjoy the white sandy beaches of the Emerald Coast or for military training, we invite you to join us. Jesus is here. Word, water, bread and wine for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Stay Lutheran, my friends. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the first Sunday in Lent, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, we come now to the gradual, which is seasonal. How does it read? Oh, come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
LSB has the same trouble I do where I learned this passage from Hebrews chapter 12, first in NIV, and they've chosen to kind of uh, insert a little bit of NIV right at the beginning. In my altar book, it has brackets to tell me that. In any case, the meaning is the same, that we're to look to Jesus. It's right in the middle of a sentence in Hebrews, who is both the founder, the author, the beginner of our faith, but also the perfecter, the completer, the bringing it to fulfillment, which is finally where we're going to hear on Good Friday, right? It is finished. It is brought to fulfillment, to telestai in Greek, same word here. He's the perfecter of our faith. And then we get to kind of see it from Jesus' perspective. He endured the cross. This is the setup for continuing to talk about we also must endure hostilities, both from our flesh and from enemies. But Christ himself endured the cross because he had joy set before him, the joy of salvation for us, the joy of redeeming his people. Kind of the opposite, I suppose, of that joy that was found in the fruit when they looked at it and said, oh, this looks good for making ourselves righteous, becoming like God. Christ did just the opposite. He was glad to humble himself and to empty himself and take on the form of a servant and subject himself to death willingly for the joy of our salvation, of rescuing us. He despises the shame of the cross. We're, we're not going to become confused and be masochists as Christians. We're going to endure suffering, knowing that with patience, the Lord, in fact, will discipline us by that. But the, the shame of death, the shame of sin is not something we can ever entertain as a good thing, even if the Lord is able to work good from evil. And now Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think that's a wonderful point to make. I'm sure we'll have a chance to make it more and more through Lent and even in Holy Week. If we're already talking about the ascension of Christ Jesus, we're also talking about the resurrection of Christ Jesus, which means our purpose is not going to be to pretend we don't know the end of the story ever. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, in as much as, as we are perhaps imitating our Lord's temptation in the desert, in as much as maybe we're imitating Israel's wandering for 40 years, in as much as we are walking with the disciples and hearing perhaps predictions of Christ's death and resurrection, and maybe they always don't understand it, we are not in that position. And we shouldn't try to pretend something with our mind and put ourselves there. We know how this story ends. We've heard it before. God be praised. We're going to hear it again and we'll continue our whole lives. And so our liturgy reflects that. Uh, the resurrection is always around. So we can't fall for that old trap of dividing the death and the resurrection or, or like a silly child trying to pick which one is more important and, and get into our little squabbles and logomachy. No place for that here. In fact, let's just jump ahead and say he, and recognize that he has ascended on high as we confess in the creed all the time, no matter what season of the church here. And nevertheless, we consider his death. We, we fix our eyes on Jesus, particularly in that moment of his, of his self-offering and his self-denial uh, and find our great joy in it. What is the verse? The verse is super short, and we return to kind of an annual verse, so it's the same across all three years. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, Ephesians 6, 11. That's very interesting to include this as a way of bringing ourselves back into the story, I suppose. We've talked a lot about Jesus. We've said he should be our focus. We have the whole Adam is one thing, but Jesus is the new Adam. But here we're also encouraged to take up his armor in our struggles as well so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. 
This is not maybe the primary message and purpose of Christ's temptation. He wasn't only leaving us an example for us to follow. Certainly, he was triumphing over the devil himself, which none of us dare go onto the battlefield alone and think we can do it. In fact, we can't even do it as the major players, just with a little help from the Lord. No, really, we're riding his coattails to victory. But nevertheless, he gives us a place in his kingdom. He even gives us a place in his army. He gives us his own armor to protect us. And so all of that is just hinted at here for a moment. No doubt, everybody who hears this sung in church can start thinking of all the different pieces of armor that are laid out there in Ephesians 6. It's a favorite passage of many, and that's great. And above all, we're going to hear today about how Christ turns away Every attack of the devil with his defensive armor, chiefly the word of God, the sword of the spirit, as Jesus' refrain is continually, it is written, it is written. Read the gospel for this coming Sunday for us. From Matthew chapter 4, then, that is after the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, and said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. When you hear it every single year, no matter what lectionary you're in, this is a very familiar passage to us. So I couldn't even begin to scratch the surface of of everything that you probably will hear from your pastor, who I almost guarantee really loves this gospel reading. Uh, I hope that you do too. It's incredibly encouraging to see a master at work. And so here's our Lord Jesus Christ, who at the end of 40 days, which is already a pretty miraculous fast, he's not just doing it, you know, on a couple days a week or skipping this or that meal. This is nothing. And at the end of all that, exhausted and weary and tired, still he bests the devil so handily. Uh, Well, he's not capable of sin, of course. Nevertheless, he's tempted in every respect like us, except without sin. So we can learn something from him, but not in the sense that we will ever equal him or have no need of Christ Jesus. At the center of the attacks is the one where the devil dares to quote the word of God. And remember, it's a feature of these kind of ancient writings in the Gospels to have the important thing sometimes in the center, not at the end, like we might want to save it. So that's really a moment when the devil dares to quote the Lord's word against God. Pretty bold. Notice he leaves out the passage about to guard you in your ways. Well, the way is Jesus Christ himself, right? So that was a key passage the devil just couldn't couldn't repeat. And each time, including that one, 
Christ rebukes the devil with the word of God. This is the limit of how much we can imitate him, is, is to know that the word of God is, is the power against the devil. In fact, the simple name of Jesus is what we ought to fall back on if nothing else comes to mind. Because Jesus Christ is the only one who truly can dominate the devil, can make him lord over him, and can say, be gone, Satan, and he must obey. But the word of God is our touchstone. It's what will help us to discern against all of the the trickeries and deceit that the devil gives. And it's necessary to see that he is the tempter, the accuser, the Satan, and he's come to trick and deceive. This is what he did in the garden as well, to twist God's word just so slightly so that even this good thing now becomes a an agent of evil, so to speak. And the Lord does the opposite. He quotes it truly, straightly, and puts the devil to flight. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent. This gospel not only tells us about Jesus' temptation without sin, it also informs our hours of temptation. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with The Bent Woman, Mustard Seed and Leaven, Last First and First Last, Lament Over Jerusalem, and Healing of the Man with Dropsy. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. One of the most difficult decisions that a spouse has to make is the decision to put their beloved husband or wife into a long-term care facility as a result of mental illness. In the February issue of The Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Michael Casting tells the story of how he cared for his wife during her struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to grips with this decision. To find out more, you can read his article in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy.
final stanza of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So in this Gospel reading here, Sean, we obviously are primarily seeing Jesus' temptation. He tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. We're tempted with sin. What do we find of our temptation in this Gospel reading? Well, I think, I mean, as the desert fathers uh, in the church learned, running away from everybody is not going to save you from the temptation to sin. The devil is is able to come anywhere. We are tempted often to run away by ourselves. We see that our Lord certainly is standing by himself against the devil, as only he's able to do. So that's a part that is should not be imitated. Nobody should be so bold as to say, I'm going to go off by myself, and I'm going to battle the devil on my own. No, that's Christ Jesus who gets to do that. For us, it's very important that we stick near to each other. And it's important that we stick near to each other really for what Jesus does show us to imitate, which is the devotion to the word of God, the knowledge of it that he obviously without a Bible is able to quote it here. We, we heard in Luke's gospel, of course, about how as a child he was already learning at the feet in the temple. He was devoted to his father's things and in his house. Uh, so we also should imitate that. So we have the word of God at hand when lies are told or when the devil is tempting us that we would run to the promises of the gospel in the scriptures that we know and, and recite them and, and say them out loud and be comforted by them. And Psalm 91 is a fantastic psalm from our intro to take to heart since it turns the devil away even with his own trickery, right? It, that psalm, if you would dare to read it, turns away the devil's trickery so that it can't even stand next to the Lord's word. That'll be the same truth for us. I think also as we look at the Lord's fasting, and obviously we're going to kind of as a church publicly, as a, as a corporate fast, as we heard on Ash Wednesday from Joel, devote ourselves to some sort of fasting as, as each Christian determines for himself in his own discipline. Our fasting doesn't stand alone. It really is not just the giving up of something or the fitness only, but together with that fitness that we're looking for, this training in righteousness, this discipline as disciples of Christ Jesus, together with that is chiefly the word of God. As we heard, the, the whole armor of God is finally the sword, the weapon that we have in hand is the word of God. So our fasting ought to be coupled with an increase, not a decrease of the word of God. That's the means by which the devil is overcome in our flesh, in the world, the way that our conscience stands on something firm and certain, the word of Christ that no one can take away from us. What would you say about, well, first of all, explain why a mighty fortress is the hymn of the day. And then what should we say about it? It's the hymn of the day because of how greatly it portrays Christ our Lord fighting for us. And I think this hymn is, again, it's impossible for us as we consider this season of discipline not to ask the question of how we ought to be disciplined and grow in that discipline. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But we never should think or forget the fact that Christ Jesus acts here, as you said so well, not just for our example, but in our place. He's the one who's defeating the devil for us. 
it's already kind of a foretaste of what his crucifixion will truly accomplish. Maybe this looks a little more glorious since he gets to tell the devil to buzz off. But we know that when Jesus said it is finished and breathed his last, actually that's when the devil was screaming and fell down from heaven and all the things that the scriptures say of it. So a mighty fortress is the perfect hymn for that. It brings us along into the into the encouragement uh, to endure against the devil. So it's a fine kind of a, a spiritual warfare hymn as we look at the season of Lent. Almost all these stanzas really do cover it, right? We have our champion, Christ Jesus, the valiant one who fights for us. Who is he? Jesus Christ. He's the strong Lord of God, the Lord of hosts, and he's holding the field. Here, I suppose it's a dusty field, the wilderness there, right? The devils are eager to attack us, but we don't have to fear when Christ Jesus is there. And I love the way Luther in this hymn, even though it's supposed to be a paraphrase of Psalm 46, just can't resist bringing in what Jesus says in John's gospel, uh, that the prince of this world is judged already. I mean, that's what the cross has accomplished. That's what Jesus, all of Jesus' little contests, you might say, add up to what is finally done and definitive on the cross, that the devil has no claim on us anymore. He's judged the deed is done. He's a liar like he was from the beginning, and uh, he can be turned away that easily now in Christ Jesus, that is. And the last stanza in particular, right? The word will remain, even though everybody hates it, even though it's assaulted, the word of God will stand. That's why Jesus quotes it. That's why he's always, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so also Christ Jesus is with us, with his word and his spirit, with everything that we are going to receive to strengthen us. We're never going to fast from here during Lent or any other time. His sacrament, his word, his gospel, uh, which is going to continue to sound out for us. So that if we lose everything else, this is at least part of what our Christian discipline of fasting and, and almsgiving is for, is maybe to prepare us a little bit for the real likelihood that we will lose certain things in this life for following Christ. Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And we'll hear that uh, when we get to year B. In fact, next Sunday, if we were in year B. So if all these things were gone, in fact, let them all be gone, because we really would have lost nothing as long as we have Christ Jesus. Then the kingdom is ours. Then his victory belongs to us. Then, even if we should suffer, we will be with him in glory. So this is what Christ Jesus has done in every way that, of course, Adam failed. He has triumphed. And he has shown himself to be the true and greater Adam. And thus, in him, we have a champion to cling to and to trust in. Finally, with about a minute here, how would you summarize this coming Sunday's message? This coming Sunday's message really has the whole story of salvation in it. We should consider our place with Adam and our sin. But we also need to consider the great gospel, the promise of Christ Jesus, the seed who will crush the serpent's head. We can watch along with him uh, in the gospel reading as he defeats the devil with the word of God. And then we can also be encouraged and strengthened for our own struggle against sin and the forces of hell and, and the enemies in this world with the word of God as our ally. We can learn how to pray Psalm 91 from our big brother, Christ Jesus, and we can uh, do exactly what our gradual says. We can fix our eyes on him who for such joy, our own salvation has endured this cross. And uh, we're given strength by that to endure ourselves.
Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you again for your time. Blessed Lent. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Tuesday, February the 21st, we'll be teaching a Sunday School lesson on Jesus' ascension recorded in Luke 24 and then again by Luke in Acts chapter 1. Then we'll talk about the Asbury University revival with Lyman Stone. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamel.org. Oh Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.